How many times have you wanted to let something go, but you are like holding on white knuckled and you can't figure out how to just let it be? All of us have stuff that we want to let go of. And either we struggle with it, we easily pass it off. Maybe it depends on what it is. Maybe we get comfortable in holding on to it. And what does it even mean to let go? Right? We probably have all kinds of definitions of what does it mean to let go of something? Does it mean we never think about it again? That it doesn't bother us, consume our thoughts? That we even forget about it? What does it mean to let go of something with God? So for today, we are going to dig into this question because all of us have something to let go of. All of us carry things that we know, mm, this is not helpful to my life. And so we're going to look into Acts 11. And Acts 11 is a story with Peter. And the setup for this is the fact that the early Christians, the very earliest, right? Jesus was Jewish. He was a practicing Jew. He went to synagogue. He observed the laws and his apostles. All of them did. And so did the disciples. And here we're getting further out from that time of the resurrection. And they're starting to move about. They're starting, the disciples are going into other areas and there are Gentiles who are not practicing Jews. And the Gentiles are like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What do you mean I have to do these certain practices that the Jews observe? And so there becomes this tension, this tension of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and do we have to hold all of the Jewish practices to be a follower of Jesus. They're trying to figure out what is okay for some to let go of. And for ourselves, we may be thinking, well, this is kind of ridiculous. But in these early days, the followers of Jesus were just seen as another sect of Judaism, much like we have many denominations in Christianity today. And so it was this real struggle of what does it mean to follow Jesus in our life, in our practices, in our rituals? And what can we say, you know what, that's good for you, not good for me, and that that's okay. So they're getting at the very foundation of how they live our their lives, which gets at the foundation of how we live our lives. And are there things that we need to be thinking about? Mm, maybe I can let go of that perception. Maybe I can let go of that belief, that worry, that angst, that practice that I have because it isn't connected to God. So for today, we are going to look into Acts 11 to help give us some guidance in this question. Starting in Acts 11, verses 4 through 10. Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. In my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me. As I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts, as well as reptiles and wild birds. I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, eat and kill. I responded, absolutely not, Lord. 
Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled back into heaven. Okay, so one of the Levitical, part of the Levitical law for Jews is about what they can and can't eat. There's a whole thing about what is clean and unclean, like lobster, shrimp, that's a no. Pork, no. And so here, he's being challenged in that. He's having this vision, he's had this dream, and he's very unsettled by it. Peter is very unsettled by it because this is something foundational to how he conducts his life, of how he understands he needs to go about life to connect to God. And here, this dream is about, wait a minute, hold up. Is that really true about that what you eat or don't eat is that closely connected to God? And so it's challenging him. And to recognize it's challenging him in something he needs to let go of. Does that mean he necessarily needs to let go of that practice? No, but it's his perception of others. And it's perception of you're only right if you do it this way. And so Peter is being challenged, but notice that he like keeps going back and forth. Absolutely not. It is a three-time kind of thing. Should kind of remind us how he denied Jesus three times. Of how he said, no, no, Lord, I will not deny you. And then he did it. And so a real moment of, hey, Peter, I think we need to be challenged. I think you need to be challenged in what you're thinking here because it's creating issues with others. It's becoming an us versus them in the church. And are you putting unnecessary burdens on others? What about your belief system? What about the way you perceive others? What about your judgments? What about your own practices? Do you need to challenge and kind of let go of? And so to think first about how he's going to hold on to some of this, but the very first step in letting go is being challenged by of taking stock of those things that we are holding onto, whether it's beliefs, worries, anger, perceptions, judgments, the way we interact with others, the way we think about ourselves, and how is that impacting? A challenge of, is this really the right way to be living? Is this really the right way to be thinking about things, to be acting in this world? And so he's being challenged in what is really connected to God, not just for himself, but for everyone. And that maybe his practice looks a little different, which is okay from someone else's. Because all of it's connected to God, right? Never consider unclean what God has made pure. That sense of maybe what works for us doesn't work for something, someone else. But it doesn't mean that it's not connected to God. Continuing on in verses 11 through 14. At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where he was staying. The Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered that man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. 
He will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. So now Peter's relaying this story. He's being challenged in what he thinks about his clean and unclean because he's about to be challenged by interacting with Gentiles because for some, the, the belief was, well, I can't interact with Gentiles because they are unclean. It's this moment of what we think is impossible becomes possible. So Peter and Peter is really hitting on this division between the Jews and the Gentiles where they see an us versus them and where it's like, well, you don't do it right, we do it right, and that comes from both sides, and that there's a division here, an impossible divide, and that the Gentiles, they aren't going to change, so why should we interact with them? So Peter's being challenged not just in unclean, clean, in eating, which is a personal practice, but now he is actually being challenged in how he understands other people, understands other people being able to connect to God. And here the story is a Gentile sends for him, brings him to it. There are all these guys around, all these Gentiles, and this this line of, he will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. Peter is going to have to let go of some judgment in perceptions. He's going to have to push back and allow himself to be challenged. So letting go here is he's being challenged in what he thinks, in the way he acts, in the how he perceives others. He's being challenged and it's not just about him, but he's being challenged because there are others like, wait a minute, you and your entire household can be saved. And we may be going, okay, what does that exactly mean? Because so often for ourselves, 2,000 years later, so many times we want to equate being saved with after death. But if we're thinking about that term in context of Jesus, Jesus is using it in the context of the here and now of a different way of living and being with one another and being connected to noticing where people are struggling, being an encouragement, healing others, living into that love, living into forgiveness, living into mercy, being able to be responsive and not because of some arbitrary divisions that we see. So here, Peter is being challenged in letting go of these arbitrary divisions of that sense of impossible, we could never interact, they are not good enough, and being able to go, wait a minute, where is God working in this moment? How is God at work? Letting go here with God is about seeing and challenged in the things that we're holding on to and then being able to look for the possibility of saying, wait a minute, no more saying it will never change. That's impossible. Never changing a mindset. But instead, letting go is about recognizing the possibility in relationships with people we've never even known. Looking for the possibility and well, I can't believe the way they do so, of saying, wait a minute, we can come across divides and begin to see each other in new and unexpected ways. That sense of what could happen here is a whole household. A whole household can be challenged in a new way of living and being.
Because to be saved is about being given purpose and direction, a new way of living by the one who created us in love for peace and joy. And so to think about that, that that can not only change Peter's life, that can not only change the guy who summons him or these six individuals, but it can begin to change entire households to be inspired to live in new ways, to get across those divides, to be able to say, wait a minute, we can extend forgiveness. We can see and experience one another in new ways. People can change. Continuing on in verses 15 through 18. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning. I remembered the Lord's words. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded. So then God had, has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so that they might have new life. Peter here begins to recognize that God's not only working in his life with his friends, with the people he knows, with the people he likes, but he's now recognizing that God is at work in everybody's life, in everybody's life. And it's one of those moments where his world begins to expand. His love begins to expand just as Jesus had been challenging them to do all along. You think it's just for you, but it's not. It's for something much greater, much broader, much bigger. That those things that divide or seem impossible that we can't seem to get past. No, those things are really arbitrary to our lives and they we need to overcome we need to let go of some things so that we can begin to experience each other in love in the way that God created us to experience one another we need to begin to understand one another and to be able to see each other's abilities and gifts it says if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ then who am I that sense of God gives all of us gifts and abilities, whether we want to recognize it or not. And those gifts are, and abilities are meant to draw us into community for helping one another, for encouraging one another, for lifting each other up in ways that we never expected. It's a new way of living and thinking. And so Peter is beginning to recognize that, that in the Gentiles, which at one point seemed impossible, I'll never interact with people like that. I could never, we don't believe, we're not on the same wavelength. There's too big of a divide. It's impossible to change. And here Peter's like, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. And then he says this, he asks this question that, I think we should really sit with, could I stand in God's way? We have a choice every single day. We have a choice of whether or not we are going to be guided by God, of whether or not we are going to be guided in love and peace and joy, whether or not we are going to wake up angry and outraged and messy and painful and what we're going to inflict upon one another. We get a choice every single day and sometimes 
we screw it up, and sometimes we are able to live into it. But here, what Peter is acknowledging, what Peter is saying here is that, could I stand in God's way? No, no more. Peter often tried to stand in God's way by not listening. He often tried because he's like, no, it's only this way. And here he's like learning, wait a minute, I've got to let go of that mindset that things are possible or impossible. He's got to let go of a mindset of impossibility. He's got to stop saying no, absolutely not to God. Because when he does, he begins to see the world. He begins to understand the world in a very different way. He begins to take a step back and go, wait a minute, what's really going on here? What's really possible? He begins to set aside those things that are worrisome. He begins to set aside those things that, those fears that kind of drive, those things that kind of try to control, that say it's only this way. Because he's being opened up completely to new possibilities in this moment with people that he thought we could never be friends, we could never agree. It's impossible that you could change your life. And Peter goes, wait a minute, maybe it's not with God. Maybe this is no longer impossible. That there is kind of a way forward. And we've done this throughout history. There have been all kinds of moments throughout history where people recognize they begin to live into that love. They begin to live into that peace. They begin to live into what is God calling me to do in this moment? And they respond by doing something that just days ago everyone thought impossible. I think about during the Crusades, which were horrific. What the Christians did in the Crusades was awful. But there were still some who said, you know, there are a lot of people in pain. How can I be a healing presence? And they started hospitals. Throughout history, Christians at different times, followers of Jesus have gone, wait a minute, how can I respond? Because all of us have been given gifts and abilities to respond to the impossible. How can I respond with the gifts and abilities? And maybe it starts small and gets bigger and does begin to impact entire households. And so this moment where Peter is no longer going to believe the lie that nothing can change, that it will never get better, that it is impossible for change to happen. And he goes, wait a minute, how can I be part of it? How can I be a part of how God is connected? How can I be a part of this work of God in the world that begins to say to others, you are loved and you are accepted. There's a different way for even you to live, for all of us to live as those created in love for peace and joy. And so Peter, it's like that challenge. Peter's being challenged, but also challenging us to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not going to stand and say no more to God. Guide me. Where can I go next? What can I do? How might I respond? Continuing on in verses 19 through 21. 
Now, those who were scattered as a result of the trouble that occurred because of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They proclaimed the word only to Jews. Among them were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They entered Antioch and began to proclaim the good news about Jesus, the Lord Jesus, also to the Gentiles. The Lord's power was with them, and a large number came to believe and turned to the Lord. Now those who were scattered. A reminder about what happened with Stephen. Stephen's the first martyr. Stephen was preaching. He was talking about Jesus. And some people got really angry with that. Some people got really angry and they took up stones and they stoned him to death. Paul, uh, whom we read about later in Acts, but also in his own writings, talks about that he was present for that and the guilt that he feels. And because he didn't stop it, he perpetuated it. And so there's a real fear here. We can understand it. The reality is that Stephen died at the hands of others that there was this total violence and destruction in this moment. And so the people ran, the disciples ran, and they went to different places to get further out from Jerusalem. They went to Cyprus, which modern day island, Cyprus, uh, Greece and Turkey, uh, claim parts of that island. They also went to Antioch, which is in Northern Syria today, or Phoenicia, which is modern day Lebanon. They scattered out out of fear, but that's not where they stayed. That is not the mindset that they kept. There was understanding of real danger, but they did not keep the, that mindset of hovering, of sitting in the pit, of staying in the despair. But instead, they begin to talk about Jesus. They begin to live live according to the way Jesus was calling them. They began to talk about that mercy and forgiveness. They began to talk about that love. They began to encourage each other and strengthen others. And they began to talk about it outside of their comfort zone. They began to talk with the Jews in the area, which they were comfortable with, but then they just, they couldn't contain themselves. They had to talk about this new way of living because their lives were being changed by it. Because their lives were being filled with people peace and joy after such destruction and horrific moments, they began to thrive where they were because they decided to take a different mindset. They decided to let go of that stuff that kept them only in one way of thinking and being and living. And they decided to live in such a way that others went, huh, that's kind of interesting. I want that. They began to live in such a way that it not only turned their lives, took them from a place of destruction and despair into a new way of living and being, that it, it was so powerful, it began to impact others, that others wanted to know, I want to be a part of that. I want energy and life. I want to know that there is something more than the pain of this world, much like we talked about last week. I want to know that there's a way of living where love really does triumph over hate. Where peace 
really can be known, even as the world seems to be falling apart, that we can have joy even when everything at us says, no, 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 just only pay attention to the bad stuff, that it's impossible, to the lies, that nothing could ever change. They began to live their lives from the impossible into the possible because of Jesus, because of the way Jesus was calling to them, because of the way that they were listening. They were so inspired that they began to inspire others. Continuing up, on finishing up actually, in verses 22 through 26. When the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of God's grace, he was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the Lord. Barnabas responded in this way because he was a good man whom the Holy Spirit had endowed with exceptional faith. A considerable number of people were added to the Lord. Barnabas went to Tarsus in search of Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They were there for a whole year, meeting with the church and teaching large numbers of people. It was in Antioch where the disciples were first labeled Christians. People are becoming so inspired by the possibility that it was like, wait a minute, we, we can do some good here. There really is a chance to change people's lives. Like we thought it was only for this group, but in reality it's for everyone, this love, this peace. It's for everyone, this encouragement, this healing, this new way of living. And so Barnabas goes to Antioch, and I love this, when he arrived and saw evidence of God's grace. He gets there, not necessarily knowing what to expect, and he sees evidence of the way people are living. He sees evidence of grace in their lives, of God's grace in the way that they are living and engaging and talking with one another, in the way that they are overcoming those divides, in the way that they are overcoming the impossible, at the way they are changing their lives and each other's lives. And right now there's this amazing quote about grace that is going around on the internet by Brene Brown. And that quote is, grace means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. And that's an excellent way to know what Barnabas experienced, that he was experiencing people going, wait a minute, my mistakes in life, the things that I have struggled with now serve a purpose instead of shame. I, the things that we hold on to that are like, man, I screwed that up, it, with God's grace, it becomes for a purpose. It becomes to help others. It becomes to elevate and encourage and to heal and to strengthen instead of wallowing in our shame. And so this moment of Barnabas seeing this, of experiencing other people's lives being changed, that, their, that grace is all about their mistakes now serve a purpose of good, right? Barnabas was a good man, and now he's seeing this with others. And he is filled with joy. He is filled with joy by the way other people's lives are changed. And to think about that for ourselves, the way that we're living, the way that we speak, the things that we get caught up in, the things that we hold on to in life, 
Are they inspiring others? Does it inspire others? Does the way that we are living and being and working in this world inspire ourselves? And does it inspire others because it's connected to God? Because letting go that sense of what does that actually mean? How do we navigate that with God? When we are able to let go of things that are harmful, when we're able to let go of the things that burden us, when we're able to give it over to God, we are able to inspire, not just ourselves, but we are able to inspire others in the way that we are living and being. And that sense of letting go here, that sense of, okay, so letting go is, as we talked about earlier, there's that challenge of, okay, we're going to be challenged in the way that were the things that we hold on to and we're going to make space for new possibilities so part of letting go is not about forgetting it's making space for the possible it's making space for change it's making space that maybe there's another way of seeing this moment another way of experiencing one another letting go here is about freedom is about freedom in the sense of we are no longer going to be hindered by our judgments, by our perceptions of others, by our beliefs, by our practices, by our rituals that we continuously begin to make space for the impossible to happen. Letting go is no longer being hindered is being free to go, wait a minute, I think there's more to life than. Wait a minute, I really think we can respond with each of our gifts and abilities in a way that we haven't yet. That God has given each of us gifts and abilities and whether or not we're using them or do we need to let go of saying, no, I don't, I don't have time for that, I'm too busy. I, you know what, it's uncomfortable the sense of how we may be hindered in life and we need to begin to make space for something new. The Roman Stoic Seneca was actually a contemporary of Jesus. Although he lives further on, uh, he will finally be killed by Nero in 65. But he often writes about this sense of freedom, of letting go, of no longer letting things hinder. And there's this great explanation of it in this book called Breakfast with Seneca by David Fiddler. And this is what is said. What freedom means for Seneca is not being enslaved by false judgments, extreme negative emotions, Anger, compulsions, unhappiness, anxiety about the future, a desire for external objects, feelings of emotional injury, and the opinion or actions of others. Jesus often talked about the burdens that we carry. 
He often was trying to help people and whatever that burden was, whatever that pain was, whatever the messiness was, whether they created it or not, it was just the circumstance they found themselves. Jesus was often responding with them and saying, wait a minute, there's a, a different way of understanding this. There's a different way of living into, of living through. He was often trying to encourage one another to feel that grace that we just talked about as well of knowing that God's grace, ever plentiful, ever calling to us. Jesus was trying to encourage the people in a new way of living and being that freed them from those burdens that Seneca often talked about. Those burdens that we often hold on to and refuse to let go of or aren't sure how to. And so for us, with the story of Peter and Barnabas and the disciples, with the, the things that we know about Jesus calling to us to, to let go, to be free, to stop letting things hinder, how might we be challenged by this story for ourselves today? How might you be challenged in what you're looking for God to help you to let go of? How God is helping you to let go of? How might we be challenged in making that space for the possibility? We may not forget. We may not be totally out of pain from. But no longer will the things that we hold on to consume us. Consume us in such a way that it crowds God out, that it crowds out that love, that it crowds out that peace, that it crowds out that joy. But instead, that sense of letting go means that we make space for the possibility of something new to happen. Something out of love. Something out of peace and joy. Something that inspires us. How might we be challenged by this story today? Amen.